Well, good morning, Cypress Church. Thank you for being here this morning. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Brett Holloman, and I am the uh, pastor of care here, which is a part-time position, but it's a full-time commitment. Um, and I love what the Lord has allowed me to do and, and the things that Pastor Mike has provided for me to do. It's just been a very, very fulfilling experience, and I enjoy it. So thank you very much for being here. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. You know, one of the things that I learned uh, early on in this particular section of Scripture is I should never miss staff meetings. Because if I miss staff meetings, I get some of the most difficult sections of Scripture to talk about. And so I've mentioned this a few times to Justin. He's defended himself, but I firmly I'm firmly convinced that this is intentional. <laughs> but this is a difficult section of Scripture. As I read it and as I prayed over it, and I was asking God to, to give me some, some direction, some enlightenment, and as I read the different commentators, it seemed like there were as many different views about this particular section of Scripture as there were commentators. Incredibly challenging. But I wanted to open up today and just set the perspective, if I may, is that we live in what I call a good enough world. Now, you know what I mean by good enough, is that the world has kind of slid into this area of it's good enough to get by. I was watching uh, the news the other day, and uh, just as, as an example of this, there is a Chrysler plant in New Jersey, and during lunch... Some of the members of, the, of that Chrysler work area were going out to their cars and they were smoking dope and drinking beer. And they were doing it before work as well. And the, and the news people had monitored these people's activities for a period of four or five days. And finally, they go up to one of the guys sitting in his car and say, hey, listen, you're aware, of course, that you're not supposed to be doing this. And the guy was caught flat-footed, didn't quite know what to say or do. But he said, well, he goes, I'm going to go to work anyway. And it was as if he was saying that it, it's good enough that I'm going to go to work. Not that he was going to excel or have that above and beyond quality to his work, but just to show up in the condition he was in. And then I was listening to another section of the news, another portion of the news, and it mentioned the fact that L.A. Unified School District is not going to have homework anymore for kids. I'm about 50 years too late. But they've... 60. Thank you, Dave. All right, every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> you know who your friends are. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that you have these kids that, that they viewed as being disproportionately disadvantaged, so they're just going to have the work done in school now. Again, we seem to be having an attitude of good enough, where it's okay to strive for the lowest common denominator. And as I was looking at this section of Scripture, and we'll read it here in just a, just a moment, it seems to us that God desires something more from us and for us, something that will, that will be an enhancement of our faith and an extension of our faith, something that's going to take us to the next level. Because I don't believe, folks, with all my heart, I don't believe that God wants us to be good enough. And I believe that we'll see that as we go through this section of Scripture. 
So Jesus, in this interaction with the disciples, brings to the forefront what it means to have a relationship. And not, a, not just in name only, but actions based on the correct attitude, going deeper in our relationship. And I believe that the, that the dialogue in these verses actually begins earlier on. And it begins in verse number 5. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 17, verse number 5. Before I do that, let me have a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll start. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, thank you again for the wonderful privilege to be able to stand before these, this, this beautiful church and these people that I love so much and just to, to expound your word, to hopefully clarify some points. And Lord, I know from what I study that I'm, I've learned so much about what it means to take a relationship that I have with you to the next level. And Lord, I pray that through the touch of the Spirit, I can convey this as well. Father, I was convicted. I was dealt with. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that all of us would leave here today with a sense of what it means, not just to be good enough, but to excel and to have that attitude that honors and glorifies you. Thank you again for this unspeakable privilege, for it's in your son's mighty and precious name I ask these things. Amen. For those of you that don't have a Bible, if you'd like one, um, I know I'm a little late in the, in the stage here, guys, but if you just raise your hand, we'll have our ushers provide a Bible to you. The verses will be on the screen, but sometimes people just like to feel a page. So they're coming forward. Just raise your hand if anybody would like that. So back in verse number 5 of chapter 17, the disciples are having a dialogue with Jesus, and they say something very interesting. And they say this in verse number 5, And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase my faith. Increase my faith. It's almost like they're telling Jesus, just turn it on. Right? That there's no additional effort involved. There's no thought to it. Lord, just do it. And Jesus begins to address this in the following verses where he talks about that para- or that saying that's very well known to all of us. And that's the saying that, that if you have faith as a mustard seed and you say to this mulberry bush, uproot and be planted in the sea, it'll do it. And we look with absolute incredulous attitude about how that could possibly happen. But Jesus is committed to doing that. But then he goes into this section of Scripture in 7 through 10 that on its own looks like it's a standalone parable, but I believe it ties in to Jesus' response to those particular apostles and their request. You see, folks, we struggle with our faith. We do. And it's not unusual for us to say, Lord, increase my faith. And and if it's not, and if you're firm in your faith and you understand every aspect about it, praise God, I want to talk to you. But I know that there have been moments in my life where I've said, Lord, I just don't have that foundation that I need to get me through this particular area of my life. Lord, increase my faith and help me because I'm in desperate need. And I've talked to people both in this church and and the other church that I'm fortunate enough to be part of, which is Faith in Christ in L.A., and the, the theme is the same. These are difficult, difficult times. And some of you are struggling to hold on to your job. You haven't had a vacation in years. Some of you have multiple jobs just trying to make the ends meet. And you're worried about what the next day is going to hold with regards to your house, with regards to your family. You have a deep-seated fear. I can relate, and I can understand that. 
and you want to raise your hands and say, Lord, increase my faith and help me. The apostles did that. And Jesus begins to address that in this coming section of Scripture. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 17, verse 7 through 10, if we could put that slide up there. Jesus begins to say, suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The first thing I want to talk about beside the apostle plea is, number one, our place. Look at verse number seven. Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? You see, this was the servant's area. This is where God had sent him, the master had sent him, to exercise his influence, his skills, and hopefully that he would have the ability to provide the results that the master desired. You guys have your own place as well, your own field. And I I don't know where it is for you, but you have areas that you work and, and schools that you go to and families that you impact and friends that you surround yourself with and associations or groups that you gather with on a regular basis. That's your field. That's your place to have influence. That's what we here at Cypress Church call your unique call. That's where you can use the gifts that God has given you that's unique to you and employ them in His glory and allow Him to reap the results of your field where you till the soil and tend the livestock and you work hard and you hope and you pray. I'm sure you do because I know you that you can be an adequate, if not adequate, an excellent example of Jesus Christ in that field, in that area of influence. And sometimes you do it and you get exhausted because you want to have that excellence, that attitude above and beyond. You don't want to settle for good enough. And at the end of the day, you desire to come home. You desire to put your feet up. I, there was, uh, as many of you know, I'm in sales, and uh, I get the, the opportunity to meet a lot of people in my field, believers and non-believers. And there was a time here about four or five weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer, that I was with a vice president of a very large company in downtown Los Angeles. And... Um, he called me into his office. Now, when you're in sales and a vice president calls you into his office, that's never a good sign. And his name is Jeff, just a wonderful man, just a great man. And I sat down opposite his desk, and he shut the door, and he says, you know, Brett, I'm going to talk to you as a brother. Whoa. And he said, uh, I'm going to be leaving this company because he is a Christian but he couldn't operate in that area because of their lack of ethics. And he said, I'm going to be leaving. 
And he said, I want you to pray for me. I'd like to talk with you about this as I go through this, pro- this process. And in my mind, I'm saying, thank you, Lord, that he, you allowed me to be a blessing to this man and that he sees something in me that he's willing to share. But there was an awesome responsibility to be able to sit down with this man, this vice president, and be, have him share with me that the ethics of his company would not permit him to stay there, and he was going to be moving and transitioning. And so Jeff and I prayed many times, and I prayed for him many times. But you come home, and you're exhausted, and you're tired, not just from the elements of your work, but also being that influence and utilizing the gifts of your unique call. And you pray that you did a good job. And Jesus says that is something that we expect. But then I want to talk about the priorities. Take a look at verse number 8. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I've eaten and drunk and then afterwards you may eat and drink. Jesus now is beginning to talk about the priorities in our lives. And certainly just as we discussed, even though we're tired and even though we're exhausted, and the servant returns from the field, the master is talking now about continuing that effort of serving. Not in the field, but now in the presence of the master, in the home. You get the impression that this servant was about the only one this particular master had. And Jesus begins to talk about the proper order of things. Rest is not the first thing. It may be to us. And we may want to put our feet up and turn on, you know, cable and watch TV. But rest is not the first thing. And the servant would be provided for at the appropriate time. But right now, it's time to serve the master. I'm reminded of a story back in the very early 1900s. And some of you may have heard this. There were missionaries, a husband and wife team in Africa. And they put in several years, decades, And at the end of their tenure, they get on a ship to come across the Atlantic. And they're tired. They're exhausted. They'd work their field. And the boat lands in New York Harbor, and there's a band and a huge throng of people. And a husband's standing at the railing of the ship. And for a moment, he's encouraged, thinking that just perhaps people were recognizing their efforts. The band began to play. Gang plank was lowered, and off the boat comes Theodore Roosevelt from one of his African expeditions, hunting expeditions. People cheered, wrapped their arms around him, and off they went. And the husband's leaning against the railing of the ship, discouraged. Nobody was there to greet them. And the wife puts her arm around him and says, You know what, honey? This isn't our homecoming. Our homecoming is yet to, to happen. You know, Jesus says that there is a homecoming for us. There is a time for rest. There is a time when we'll be recognized for the efforts that we've put in. But maybe right now, now is not the time. The master says the work needs to continue. And rest and reward will be in its appropriate time. So our priorities have to be in alignment with our master. And it may mean that exceptional effort, that doubling down of our our effort. Another great example is in Matthew 26, 38, and we have that slide up here as well. I believe we did. 
Jesus says to his disciples on that very last night before he was to go to the cross or in the garden. And he says to them, then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Well, what happens is Jesus goes, the Bible says, about a stone's throw away. And he begins to just lay on the ground and plead with God the Father about what was to happen. And it's about an hour and he comes back and the disciples are asleep. They have passed out. They're gone. And Jesus literally says, could you not have stayed awake? You see, the disciples were at the end of their physical rope. They needed the sleep. They fell asleep. But Jesus had other plans. Jesus' plans don't necessarily correspond with our priorities all the time. And he was disappointed. You can sense it in the fact that they had passed out and gone asleep during this critical time. He needed them to step above and beyond and move out to a greater plan than what they had imagined. And there are times in my life, and I'm sure there are times in your life, when Jesus says, Brett, come on. We've got to move on. Don't get tired on me. Don't get exhausted. Rest is for later. Your priorities have to be in alignment with mine. And there are times, folks, I'll be honest, when I just go, you know, it's not necessarily what I have in mind right now. And I have to be brought in alignment with God's priorities. This servant, as he comes in, is told by the master, first clothe yourself properly, then come feed and, and provide drink for me, then your time will come. Here's the tough part, and make no mistake about it. There is a master-slave relationship here. That's tough because the world doesn't want to hear that. The world doesn't want to hear that in our relationship. But there is an aspect of our relationship with Christ that puts us in a bondservant mode where we, we listen to His will. We try to tune in to what His priorities are, and we do our best to follow along And it's tough because the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't like submitting its will to that of a Savior. This is a world that we live in right now besides the good enough attitude. says, I want to run my own life. It's all about me. And I know God may have a plan, but I'll get around to it at some point in time. But as Paul explains in 1 Corinthians, we're going to take a look at a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians 7, 23. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a freeman when he was called is the Lord's slave. You were brought with a price, so do not become slaves of men. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 20, you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Basically, what Paul is saying there is that get your priorities right. Don't align your priorities with the world. Don't align your goals with the world. It's fun, and it may be attractive for a moment. But ultimately, long time, long term, how we approach the priorities of God are what matter. He will give us the endurance to do this when we come in from our field. He will provide us with that ability.
It also means that as a servant, we have to be very close and stay very close to our master to understand what his priorities are. Again, I'll kind of fall back on my job. My job communicates with me constantly. I am, I, my corporate office is in Indianapolis, and I go back there two, three times a year. But for the most part, for most of the year, I work out of my house. I don't have anybody around me except my dog, Gracie. You know, she sits there and coaches me through my day. But there are times when I need to know what my company needs me to do. Not very often because they're very proactive in communicating with me. Very proactive. And I believe that if we were in tune truly with God's priorities and we understood what He expected from us as a bondservant along the lines of 1 Corinthians, that He'll communicate with you what His priorities are in your life and how you can execute them in the world and in your field using your unique call. But most of the time, folks, we're so busy and we're so, we're so obsessed with what's going on in our lives that the master is ignored. I'm speaking to myself. We have to draw into alignment. And that, I believe, is what Jesus is talking about with this servant who comes in and says, it was a long day. And you know what? I'm done. In his mind, he's okay with that. But in the master's mind, the work is just starting. Priorities have to be in line. The last thing I want to talk about is our perspective. Because I believe that if we change our perspective, our priorities will follow. And the, the, the servant had the wrong perspective. The perspective was not eternal. The perspective was immediate. So what does it mean? Because this is a scary section of Scripture. When the master says, you are but an unprofitable servant. And so my mind began to ask, and I began to research as I was going through this section of Scripture, what does it mean to be profitable? How can we be profitable? Well, I think this particular servant was identified as being unprofitable because he did what was expected and nothing more. It was like he hit the end of his day and he flipped a switch and he said, I'm done. This is tough, isn't it? Because I do that, you do that, we just hit the end of our day and we, we, we flip that switch and it says that we're done. But if we're really going to be in that area where we have God's priorities... It seems to me that we have to have a perspective change. We have, number one, we have to get our eyes off our circumstances and view the eternal. If we're going to be profitable in the eyes of the Lord, we have to get our eyes off our circumstances and view the eternal. In the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a man that was given a vision by God to build a wall around Jerusalem. And he motivated the people to do that. They had his perspective. They had his priorities. Nehemiah was an excellent leader. But what happened is the wall had been torn down. There was rubble everywhere from the previous battles that that city had experienced. And now the people were beginning to rebuild the wall. And they were beginning to work as a team. They were... Con- they were Convinced they could do it. The wall gets up to about half its level, and the people get discouraged. 
They began to doubt the enemy was attacking, that their work was not going to be completed, and even if it was completed, the enemy was going to be able to tear it down again. You see, what was important was the fact that they had taken their eyes off the goal that God had set and put it on their circumstances. And in our lives, there are many times when we have great plans for God. Our priorities want to be in alignment with God. But we look at the rubble of our lives and we say, there's no way that I can be of any assistance to God. Not with the baggage I have. Not with the life I've led. I can't possibly do anything constructive for God. Because the enemy wants, to look, wants us to look at our circumstances and not at the eternal promise of our Savior. Amen? Take your eyes off your circumstances. Look at eternity, and that'll drive you and change your perspective. You'll become excited about whatever you can do. It'll give you that additional energy to carry on when every impulse in your body says, I just want to put up my feet. So the first thing we have to do in our perspective is to change our attitude. Or, pardon me, is to look for eternity. Second, and I believe that's what this servant was doing, We never work with an attitude that we can get God indebted to us for our efforts. You know, that servant probably came in from the end of his day and thought, all right, I've done enough. It's time for him to wait on me. Right? It's time for, okay, come on now. I'm a little tired. My hands are callous. My feet are tired. Uh, I'm going to sit down and, you know what, you need to serve me. And there are some people that have that attitude with God. God, I've put in a lifetime. You know, the disciple said, we've given up everything, Jesus. But that's not the attitude to have. That's the attitude this unprofitable servant had was, okay, man, you know, Master, I have put it all to, you know, I've put it all on the field for you. I'm tired. I'm done. It's time for you to wait on me. God will not be indebted based on our efforts. There will be a reward coming. There will be rest coming, but it'll be in its due time, in its due place. We've got to shed that attitude that we can make God indebted to us. Third, we must use the gifts which God has provided. Good night alive. I think I'm almost out of time. I'm going to be real quick. Matthew 25, they talk about the good and faithful servant. Right, uh, The master, in another section of Scripture, in another parable, gives the, the, the example of talents and gifts that are given out to various servants. And some servants multiply it through their efforts and give a reward back to the master when he returns. But there was one who said, Lord, I, Master, I know you're a harsh man. And you reap what you haven't sown. And so what I did is I took that one talent you gave me and I buried it. And here it is. And the master says, You foolish servant, you could have at least put it in the bank for some interest. Everybody else, all of the others that had invested and worked and put in the time and provided their master a reward back, he called them good and faithful servants. So we have to utilize the gifts that God's given us. And then last of all, folks, attitude is everything. Attitude is everything. I'm not a, I, I watched this one show that was on cable every once in a while called Band of Brothers. And it's about the 101st Airborne in, in, World, War, in World War II, from D-Day to the end of the war. 
a squad of them, about 10 guys, and it follows them through this war. Well, in December of 1944, the Germans mount a massive counterattack. It's the middle of winter, and the Americans are in full retreat, heading back to Belgium, and the Ar- German army is on, hot on their heels. And this one squad of 101st Airborne, they're going into the battle. The entire American army is heading out. The squad of 101st, they're going in. And as they're going in, they're taking the, the, the uh, armaments, the rifles, the, the machine guns, and everything from the soldiers that are retreating so that they have stuff to fight with. And this jeep pulls up in front of the captain of this little squad of soldiers. And the, the 101st Airborne begins to pull all of the weapons off the jeep. And the lieutenant comes up to the captain and says, Captain, you got to get out of here. Because if the German army, if the German tanks cut off this road, you're going to be surrounded. The captain of the paratroopers mulled it over for a couple of seconds, turned to the lieutenant and said, Lieutenant, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. Ah, I love that stuff. (laughs) You know, folks, we're Christians. We're supposed to be surrounded. And we're surrounded by a world that doesn't understand our Savior, doesn't understand our love, doesn't understand our commitment, and is hostile to it and wants to tear it down. We're surrounded. We're supposed to be surrounded. But in that environment, good enough is not good enough. We have to move above. We have to move beyond. We have to draw strength from having our priorities in alignment with our master. We have to change our perspective to gain the strength of the Spirit to enter into the fight. Good enough is not good enough. At the end, I'm sure I share with you that we want to be viewed as profitable servants. We don't want to have that attitude that we've just done enough to get by. I want to be able to say what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I know most of you out here. I know that you share that. You want to be able to stand before our Savior and say, Lord, I wasn't unprofitable. I put in that effort. I felt the Spirit behind me, moving me, guiding me, pushing me. I want to be able to say that. Good enough is not good enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, uh, Lord, this is a tough section of Scripture. And Lord, I know these folks. I know that they want to excel. They don't want to be viewed as unprofitable. They want to have your priorities. They want to work in the field that you've given them. They want to utilize their unique call gifts. They want to have that eternal perspective of the battle we're in. Lord, thank you that we're surrounded. Thank you, Lord. Now strengthen us that we might be able to say at the end of our lives, whenever that may be, 
I have fought the good fight. I've run the course, and I've kept the faith. Thank you for our Savior. Thank you for his love. Thank you for his sacrifice. May everything that we say, everything that we think, and everything that we do bring honor and glory to him. For it's in your son's mighty and precious name we ask these things. Amen. Amen.